where we tell you what media has value. Spoiler alert! It's all of it. Also, spoiler alert, we'll be discussing spoilers as usual. You should know this by now. But that was your warning. I am Ashley. And I'm Alex. And we're going to start with our five minute masters that we just did in the last five minutes. Yes, it has changed from teaching you something in five minutes to us telling you something we just looked up five minutes ago. <laughs> but change, change is good. It's great. We're adapting. Okay, so I have a question for you, Ashley. Hmm. Uh, what do Pampers, Tide, Bounty, Tampax, Herbal Essences, Gain, Swiffer, Venus, Crest. What do all these things have in common? I don't know. They're made by the same company. They're all produced by Procter & Gamble, who are the company that also produces Pringles. That is unexpected. Yeah, especially because if you go to Procter & Gamble's website, it lists all of those things, but does not list Pringles. Well, yeah, it just it seems a little... Uh incongruous with their usual work yeah i figured pringles were like nabisco or something well i it's sort of not fascinating <laughs> it's a little special i think it's because pringles were developed in montgomery ohio and procter and gamble own montgomery ohio <laughs> <laughs> pretty much um i'm guessing it's just sort of montgomery ohio is just a fortress where there was just toilet paper walls <laughs> Just diapers. And... Just Tide Pods in cannons ready to be <laughs> fired at the masses. Oh, boy. But yeah, Pringles. Okay, okay. So Pringles were invented and first sold in 1968. Mm. Um, they were not sold across America till the mid-1970s. I would say that's a pretty good uh, timetable for invention to widespread um, consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were invented by the reputed Alexander Lipa from Montgomery, Ohio, um, and produced by the company Procter & Gamble. Hmm. Uh, at the beginning, the potato chips had the name of Pringles Newfangled Potato Chips. They are pretty newfangled. Pringles apostrophe S. Mm. Belonging to Pringles. Pringles. So Pringle is not a person. It's, it's a street in Montgomery, Ohio. Wow, this is just getting... Deeper and deeper. Um, actually, sorry, no. Uh, the name Pringles was chosen from a Cincinnati telephone book. What? <laughs> so they just picked a name at random that sounded good? Yeah. Um, they thought it was, like, fun and, uh, yeah, it they sounded just, good. They just made it up. They're just like, Pringle. That's a good name. Yes. That sounds, that sounds whimsical. Pringles Delicious. is the biggest brand of Procter & Gamble, earning over $1 billion a year in Really? Revenues. They make more off of Pringles than anything else? Any and, of their, like, laundry soap yeah. or anything? And also, why is it on their website? Probably because most of their other things are not food products. Yeah, they tend not to do that. It, <laughs> it, I get... That's so funny. Yeah. That's bizarre. Did you uh, come up with this because I keep buying Pringles? <laughs> that and also I was just trying to like searching for random stuff and Pringles came up and then I was like, oh, you've been eating yeah, Pringles. Yeah, I got those those turkey dinner Pringles. Yeah. Um, different ways of using the Pringles box because the Pringles box is... Are they calling it a box? Well... I'd call it a tube. Can? Can. Can, yeah. Um, 
So the Pringles can inventor Frederick J. Bauer was so proud of his creation that he requested his children to bury him in it. Bauer passed on March 4th, 2008, and his family put some of his ashes in a Pringles can. The rest in a traditional urn. Okay, I mean, sure. So that's one of the different uses. (laughs) As an urn. (laughs) Because of the cardboard tube packaging, the crisp box... Uh, and they call them crisps because they're not technically potato Right, because chips. it's not a sliced newfangled. whole potato. They're it's, newfangled. Well, because I know how they're made. Yeah, they're ground. It's up. like flakes that are made into a paste. Yeah, it's like if you were to buy a bag of instant potatoes and form Make them chips into, into them. Yeah, it's, I, I've seen the like how it's made about yeah. Pringles. So. Um, so because of the crisp, because of the packaging, it can be used as a great Wi-Fi antenna. It's got foil in it. Yep. Um, it, in some cases, it can also be used as a storage box for small things, even clothes. Uh, for instance, <laughs> the comedian Dilbert rolls his clothes in Pringles in a Pringles box uh, that later he can change at work or the in the car. Comic strip character Dilbert. This is well. This is the comedian Dilbert. Yeah, I'm gonna. Get this, this might be fully the fake. comedian Dilbert. <laughs> No! This isn't Wikipedia I'm on. This is UK essays, and this is a student's essay. Comedian. He is a cartoon character who isn't even a comedian in his fictional world. You And you can't cite that as being, like, that's what one weird fictional cartoon character does with Pringles cans. It's That is not evidence that any real human has ever done that. Well, this essay by a real student... <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Taking Dilbert a little too seriously. Or they're from the UK and don't understand Dilbert. They think he's a comedian. Um, flavors. Some of the more uh, outrageous flavors. Um, America actually has really chill f- uh, flavors. Yeah. Well, they seem chill to us anyway. Yeah. I mean, Cheezums, Pizzalicious. Oh, Pizzalicious are my favorite. Pizzalicious are good. Um, barbecue is good. Barbecue's good. Uh, the pickle ones. I don't see them on here. Yeah, the dill pickle ones are good. Yeah. Um, here are some European flavors. Oh, I'm excited. Cheese and onion, uh, Texas barbecue sauce. <laughs> I wonder how mu- how the flavor differs from the American barbecue. Right, it's Pringles. probably the exact same. I bet it's different. Because their palettes. conception yeah. of what barbecue sauce is versus what ours what, what is. What we eat. Yeah, I bet it's different. Um, tomato and mozzarella. Oh, damn. <gasps> Does that sound good? A paprika flavor? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, other than that, they're mostly the same. Here's some Japanese flavors. Ooh, Japanese. Lightly salted flavor. Okay, we've got that. Sour cream and onion. Got that. And French consomme? Consomme? Uh, consomme? Yeah, I don't know what that would taste like. I don't either. Um, discontinued or limited edition flavors. Oh, there's so many. Uh, chili cheese. Crunchy dill. Mm. Oh, is it? It's from 2005, I guess. Oh, no, they definitely still make... I mean, Maybe. they're not called Crunchy Dill. They're yeah. called, like, dill pickle. Uh, crushed pepper. Lots of barbecue ones. Southwestern salsa. Huh. Yeah. And here's some interesting facts. Uh, maybe we already, I already gave you one of them with the, the Pringles can guy. <laughs> that was one of the interesting interesting facts. Pringles are, market, are a marketing case study for packaging innovation. I mean, that's less mm-hmm. of a fact and more of, like... 
But it's like, yeah, it's a, that really... That's a true thing, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's literally not, or it's not a lot else like there. Like and that. anything else that is packaged in that way is packaged that way because Pringles did it first. Yeah, we're talking, we're looking to use Lay's stacks. Yeah. Did you ever, <laughs> did you ever eat those ones that were like, it was like a Pringles, but it was made of chocolate? Oh, I, I think I have, yeah. I can't remember what they were called. It was like, when we were like in high school, mm-hmm. these were out and I fucking loved them <laughs> they also have um veggie chips in oh. in in the same pringle shape and in the can huh. they're not as good actually as like Just the other forms of veggie chips huh. like i think the straws and the regular shaped ones are better yeah. but they have them well in case you need that <laughs> in case you need a veggie pringle <laughs> if you need a veggie chip in a can um in 1982, in a Pringles commercial, appeared the one of the most famous people in the world, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt was in a Pringles commercial? In 1982. That's a long time ago. It is a long time ago. He must have been so adorable. So little. Um, in the eyes of the high court in London, Pringles snacks were uh, not potato chips. Yeah. I mean, they're not. They're not. They're not. But they had to rule on it. They had to. Yeah. And, oh... As a consequence of the company doesn't need to pay value-added tax. Oh. Because they're not p- potato chips. And I think crisps. It's funny, though, because they, call... they call potato chips crisps, which is what we call Pringles. Yeah. Because they're a not crisp. chips. Because they're not chips, yeah. But. But there, I mean, it's just a lie. <laughs> they're not crisps. Wow. What's your yeah. favorite Pringle? I mean, sour cream and onion is so classic. Although I will say, I do prefer the Lay's stacks. They're just less I don't fragile. Think I've ever had them? They're like less fragile. See, I like. I kind of like the, the fragility. The, the just the fragility of the Pringles. <laughs> the Pringles. Yeah, just the, the, the sort very of shatter thin, in your mouth. Thin, crispy texture. I like that. Uh, but Pizza Licious are classic for me. They're really good. That's my go-to. Um, but these these. These roasted turkey ones. Okay, so you can't just say these roasted turkey ones. So. We were at Vermeer. <laughs> and they're sitting like just, a trophy. Just the, on the end, just right in front of our faces. Roasted turkey. Pringles. Pringles. Well, and it was funny because you had been drawn to something else. It was like some like seasonal sugar cookie or something that yeah. you saw in the fridge right next to it. And you're like, Ashley, look. And I'm like, Alex, look. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, right? Yeah. I have to? You did. You're a vegetarian and you got I, the roasted And according turkey. to you, they taste quite a bit like they roasted They taste turkey. like, it's not even just a roasted turkey flavor. It's like a turkey gravy and plus the mashed potato. Plus like the potato. It's, it's like so a, it's like a half of a meal It's like there. a turkey mashed potato thing. Yeah, it's really good. It's, it's, good. it's a little. Very salty. It's very salty and a little strong, but like. As a little snack. As around. long as you don't eat like the whole damn can, mm-hmm. it's fine. Like if you have like a good like five or seven, yeah. it's like a good, <laughs> a good range, good range without you, without like needing to like five to seven. Prints. Without letting like that's probably their serving size <laughs> probably. too. Without like needing to completely cleanse your mouth with like yeah. I, I normally go through a can of Pringles pretty fast, but these ones have been lasting me. And I also already had some Pringles. <laughs> you I don't had, usually... you had pr- a can of Pringles next to our coffee table for like two weeks. I don't. I don't know. I don't get Pringles very often, and now I have two cans of Pringles in the house. I don't know why. <laughs> and you're just savoring them. I am. We eat so many, really. They're very salty. Uh, all right. So my thing, and you're gonna think it's funny that this is what I picked. Um, I'm gonna tell you about old timey lighthouses. Yes. 
because I was curious around the for no reason for yeah just just wondering what lighthouses in the early 1900s were like how they functioned what like what is that because like now they're like electric but like what was going on there that was powering that lighthouse yeah and during that particular time um it was a carbide lamp or acetylene gas lamp Mm -hmm. so very interesting it was actually um they they burn acetylene gas which is created by the reaction of calcium carbide with water so basically chalk right uh I mean, so calcium... Oh, no, calcium carbonate is chalk. Yeah, calcium carbide, also known as calcium acetylide. Yeah. Um, It's uh, CAC2, Mm -hmm. um, and basically it's just used for making acetylene, um, industrially anyway. But it's like a, it's the, that kind of lamp is also used a lot in like mining and caving Mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, So basically it's got like a, it's got calcium carbide in a lower chamber, which is a generator, and then an upper reservoir is filled with water. And so, like, a threaded valve controls the rate at which the water drips into the chamber containing the calcium carbide, which produces the chemical reaction that makes the flammable gas, which is burned at the lamp in the top. Hmm. Uh, very interesting. I feel like it, it would work really well for, like, long durations. Because it's yeah. a slow drip. Yeah, and and it takes a lot less manpower to... Get all the materials, like... Well, and just to run it. Yeah, because like you don't have to shovel coal. Yeah, for something like a lighthouse. Uh, you know, you it's not something that needs constant maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can even, um, with uh, certain innovations around that time, uh, be run autonomously for a time because... They invented a um, a solar sensor, basically, that would only turn it on when, when the sun was down. Yeah. So mm. it wouldn't burn all day, but mm. a human wouldn't have to turn it on and off. Yeah. So that's very interesting that they had something like that as early as, like, the 1910s. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't know. Didn't know solar sensors existed back then. Right. Um, and then also, the other kind of thing that was necessary at the time in uh lighthouse setup would be the foghorn yes tell me about the foghorn so it was a uh it was like an air pressure powered horn um and so i believe it was like a furnace that was powering this air horn and so you'd have to shovel coal into a furnace in order to power this big yelling (laughs) air horn (laughs) but uh yeah i don't really have a whole lot to say about lighthouses other than like you know just like what an interesting sort of i love the technology for the light seems like super advanced and And then the foghorn is just like yeah a guy in coal yeah just (laughs) it's just a furnace um so hang on i've got the information about the foghorn here uh, so it's called a diaphone, and it was uh, based directly on an organ stop called a diaphone that was invented by Robert Hope Jones, who created the Wurlitzer organ. So what's an organ stop? An organ stop. Let's just go down this rabbit hole. 
So it's uh, it's the component of uh, an organ that uh, emits it, it allows the pressurized air through the organ pipes. Oh, uh, okay. So it's the like stops a little stop are gap. what little, little, yeah. Okay, it's, a, it. it's literally a got stop. It. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it was like stops and like a piston pushing high pressure air, and then a stop would release it. And so it would, and then close back up and build up the pressure. And mm-hmm. So, but big, like, <laughs> like a pipe organ, but really, really big yeah. and a lot of pressure. So it would be very, very loud. Um, so yeah, <laughs> uh, lighthouses are weird, weird. And I think it was in the sixties that they stopped using the acetylene and just lamps. Went to electric. Yeah, I think so. Um, but, so there was just sort of this... Which seems interesting to me because the acetylene seems more efficient. But maybe it's not. Yeah. Or maybe it's just too unpredictable. Yeah, it's definitely... I mean, electricity is a lot less likely to, you know, explode and catch fire. Yeah, <laughs> and probably you can just have it, you know, controlled somewhere off-site and not have to worry about visiting or running it. Yeah, it's definitely... I think lighthouses these days tend to be... Fully automated. And for show. Yeah. We don't need them as much um, because we have GPS and stuff like that. But, you know, what we do have, it's just automated. Like, you don't need a human being to run that. It's just a big light. You don't got to be there anymore. (laughs) Um, It's it's lower maintenance than ever. So why were we talking about lighthouses? We had a Robert Pattinson-filled weekend, Alex. (laughs) Just sort of happened. Just sort of worked out this way. But we're happy about it. We're so happy about it. I've enjoyed both movies that we watched. Yes. So, enjoy is a weird word to apply to some of this. But <laughs> we watched... Friday night. Friday night, we went to our local cute little haunted theater. <laughs> yes, our very, very old movie theater, The Kiggins, and saw The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse. And that was a trip. Yes. Um... And then on Saturday, we watched The King the on King. Netflix, starring Timothy Chalamet, but also featuring Robert Pattinson, doing a different silly accent. <laughs> Dude is committed. He's committed. He knows how to talk like he's from Boston, and he knows how to talk like he's the oh. Prince of France. <laughs> um, apparently, he like based his French accent on... like. French like fashion people that ha- have dressed him like <laughs> like just he based the accent just strict like on specific French people that he knows personally. Like, I mean that fits the bill for yeah. his character. <laughs> I also read that he was like you know he was working with the costume designers to decide like what his character was going to look like and specifically like how his hair was going to be styled and he was having a really hard time thinking of like what he wanted for the character. And then he saw what Lily Rose Depp was going to be doing. And he was like, well, I want to be a princess. <laughs> and so that's why he had that beautiful long blonde hair. <laughs> so that he could be a pretty princess too. Well, he probably got tired of looking the way he did in the lighthouse, depending on the filming order. Yeah, I don't know what order those were made in. But yeah, he was pretty scruffy and gnarly in the lighthouse. He looked old too. He looked broken. Yeah. Just really busted up. Really beaten down. Okay, how do we want to do this? 
I say we briefly talk about the lighthouse and sort of weirdness. We can try. <laughs> and then And then we talk we just talk about them in the order in which we saw them. Yeah. So I'd say for the lighthouse, like this one you can we can kind of avoid spoilers just because it's so weird. <laughs> right. Well, and like, you know, we do we do the spoilers on this show. And so I think that if you're somebody who really wants to see the lighthouse, you probably saw it already. Yeah. And if you didn't, you can make the choice for yourself if you are okay with being spoiled on that or not. I was talking to my parents at breakfast about it. Uh-huh. And I mentioned, oh, we went and saw the lighthouse. And my, my dad, as my dad does, mm-hmm. says, oh, that looked good. <laughs> and I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love your enthusiasm, father, for Oscar hopeful films. But this may not be for you. May not be for you. Yeah. Which is, and it's so funny because like we had a great time seeing this movie. I'm so glad that I saw it and I do want to see it again. Like there were parts of it that are really rough that I don't necessarily look forward to experiencing again. <laughs> yeah. But like great film. Great performances. Great performances. Amazing cinematography. Definitely something that I feel the need to rewatch, but, but also, I would not recommend it to everyone. Right, because it's difficult in tone, difficult in just, just what to it experience. Depicts, yeah, and also difficult to understand. Not mm-hmm. only because it's weird, but also because, because the, dialects, of the dialects, the quality of the film. It's like yeah, it was shot on actual fifty-five, shot, thirty-five millimeter, actually. Yes, and it's like a square. Yeah, it looks like a very old, old, old film. And it's not precisely black and white. It's like... Oh, it's black it's and like white. It's like black and white, but also sort of sepia at the well, same that's time. that's just what actual black and white looks like. Yeah, it's, it's very... It was filmed on real very black and white 35 low millimeter. contrast. High contrast. Really? Extremely high. It was all like light and shadow and silhouette. I don't know. I felt like it was, there was a lot of gray too, though. Sure, there's a lot of gray. But I'd say it was there were lots of really deep, deep shadows obscuring yeah. things and bright lights with the lighthouse oh, yeah. like i think and i think that that was a, a very intentional choice to have everything be like light and shadow yeah to, to high contrast lights casting shadows is a if thing. you're the type of person who can go to a movie and be fine not enjoying it well like and it's like weird to say enjoy because it's like i was glad to be watching the movie yeah. the whole time but it was also unpleasant. Yeah. So if you're okay with unpleasant movies. Yeah. If, if you're if you're fine f- having complicated feelings about seeing a movie, mm-hmm. paying full price to see a movie, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. go for it, it. Yes. But if you're the it type of person unpleasant. who's like grumpy at the end of a movie because it didn't entertain them in the way they yeah, wanted it to yeah. be, don't see it. It's an art movie. It's a very art movie. It's an art movie. But like, if you've seen The Witch, it's like way more which <laughs> Alex still needs to see this movie and it's a lot more watchable than the lighthouse is um but I think that that, that the lighthouse is a lot more artistically um daring yeah <laughs> than the witch is and the witch is pretty daring yeah so I will say it's a satisfying movie Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely a head scratcher, but it's like you feel like something happened. Mm-hmm. You're we like, got there. Remember that one shot where it was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think you and I have the exact same one shot. Yeah, we know what the one shot in the movie is. And I feel 
like if you've seen the movie, you know what it is too. Yes. This one moment where you're just like, you're like, whoa, okay, whoa, whoa. whoa. Um, you're like, you can do that in a movie? Right. And it's funny because the way that we're describing it, it sounds like it's something very obscene or like. But no, it's, it's just like, it's, it's just like not usually. It's very tasteful. It's more of like a painting. It's tasteful and beautiful and insane. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it feels like a Salvador Dali painting. Very that, but but like very simplified too. It's mm-hmm. like so simple. Yeah, like Dali paintings tend to be pretty simple. Well, there are also a lot, a lot of stuff I guess going on. It depends on the Dali. It does. It depends on the Dali. There's but... just one I have in my head that I'm like, oh. not so simple. Yeah. No, I uh, honestly, yeah. There's a lot of like, yeah. That, now that I say it, it hadn't really occurred to me before. But yeah, that moment does feel very Salvador Dali. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like expressionism in this movie. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like if you t- took film studies 101 in college or in any sort of. Yeah, if you're, in, if you're fil- and, familiar with low level film studies. If you ha- have some sort of fami- familiarity, you'll be like, oh yeah, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah, like, and that's the, you know, the light and the shadow. Yeah, and the so there's, there's like, that's like the rudimentary reference. The, yeah. <laughs> But, um, I mean, and I, I really like about the movie that it's not preoccupied with literality, you know? It doesn't, by the end of the movie, it doesn't fucking matter what literally happened anymore. Did anything literally happen? (laughs) Doesn't matter. That's not the point. I was looking up a, I, I literally, when we got home and after we talked a little bit, I literally Googled, um... The Lighthouse What? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I got a little interview, I think it was on Variety or something, with the director. And they were like asking him questions about what it all means. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> Robbers. <laughs> because he doesn't care. He's not interested in the meaning. He's interested in the experience. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. I would. I definitely. Or, or if he is interested in the meaning, he wants you to figure out the meaning rather than him giving you the answer. That feels more likely yeah. that he's got his, you know, his point, that his his aim in making the movie, his the thing that he was expressing, and it's up to you to arrive there or arrive somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because I can't see him making that movie without it meaning anything to him. Right. <laughs> like definitely, that meant something to him. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's very about, like, masculinity and maleness and success and failure and, you know, striving and being denied. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and capitalism. And penises. And <laughs> yeah, for, for, yeah, there's, yeah. I mean, that shot, okay, in the, in the maybe the most unpleasant sequence in the entire movie when he's in the the shack shack alone uh there's a shot when we're getting all these non sequiturs of the lighthouse but it's sort of pointed downwards at an angle and then it rotates to point up and i'm like (laughs) hello lighthouse boner like it was the most phallic thing i've ever seen like there is no reason to to have to show the lighthouse like that yeah unless it's supposed to be a dick like that was that was a boner yeah uh and the lighthouse is a boner 
and it's Willem Dafoe's boner. And God's at the top of the boner. God's at the top of the boner, and it's Willem Dafoe's God boner, and you can't have it, Robert Pattinson. <laughs> you go find your own God boner. You can work at this one, but it's not yours. <laughs> That's the movie. That's the movie. This is Willem Dafoe's God boner. Yes. <laughs> Robert Pattinson needs to steal it. Steal his boner. <laughs> Well, they can't when they're heavily drinking like that. Well, and that's the thing. And yeah, there's a lot of like homo romanticism, homo eroticism going mm-hmm. on. Sort of the sort forbidden, of the, the forbiddenness of that. The struggle of like intimacy and masculinity and, and like um, uh, cl- close quarters. Yeah, loneliness. Uh, and aren't they supposed to have separate shifts too? Yes. But Willem- they, like, literally never do. No, they do. Well, so Willem Dafoe has the night shift. Right, but he would always be awake during the day. Or not no, always. he was sleeping all day while Robert Until Pattinson was doing all his work. Weird. And then he would get up in the evening and cook dinner. Right. And they'd hang out for a while. Yeah. And then Robert Pattinson would go to sleep and Willem Dafoe would go and get naked in the lighthouse. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, lots of... Uh, so... To go back to the five minute masters, I, I'm so I'm wondering if that is the kind of lighthouse that this is because they definitely had a liquid fuel that they were yeah um, drinking as though it was alcohol. Where but calcium carbide is a powder, and acetylene is a gas. Yeah. So I don't know what the liquid was that they were using as. Well, fuel. What was the other? Acetylene's a gas? Yeah, so the chemical reaction, um, water reacts with calcium carbide and becomes acetylene gas. But there was another thing on your five-minute masters of another common fuel for lighthouses, and I think it was... I didn't... Maybe maybe the way I was talking about it, it sounded that way. Okay. But I don't think so. Um, Because we assumed it was kerosene. Which I'm feeling like is probably not likely. Just because I feel like kerosene would be so inefficient for that big of a light. Mm Mm-hmm. But perhaps it was something else and the kerosene was there as a backup. But that was like what he was lugging up the stairs. Like that was the fuel. So I'm not sure what that fuel was. Um, But it was something. I mean, it it very likely was some kind of alcohol-based fuel that they were drinking. And so it was, I mean, it's going to kill you if you drink it. But like, it'll fuck you up first. (laughs) Um... But yeah, lots of very interesting classical imagery. Yeah, in Prometheus. This movie. Yeah, very, yeah, Prometheus. And that, yeah, that one was just like... That's the big hits one. Hits you right in the face at the end. Yeah. Um, especially with like the fire and the light. Yeah. Um, Stealing from the gods. Yeah, taking it when, yeah, when he was, it was being denied him and then he falls and gets eaten by birds. Well, don't tell the ending. We're doing spoilers. Like I said. I'm sure that's the literal ending, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like it means anything to someone who hasn't seen this movie that, oh yeah, he falls down and gets eaten by birds. Like, out of context, it's just like, huh? Like, it's not, it's not like, oh, that's the big ending that it's all building to is yeah. that he gets eaten by birds. But also, like I said, if you haven't seen this movie and you wanted to see this movie, it you we already warned you and you know whether you will still be okay with watching a movie when it's been spoiled for you 
Uh, I and just, it's going to be just as upsetting no yeah. matter what. I don't feel like there's much point in discussing it if we're not going to spoil anything. Because, yeah. like, what is there to say if we can't talk about what happens in it? Um, I don't want to, like, get too granular and describe everything. But, because uh, we do tend to do that on this show. <laughs> it's just give a plot synopsis and that eh, doesn't feel... Yeah, this one doesn't have a lot of plot, so... Would be kinda... it, I wouldn't even remember the order of events at this point. <laughs> I was trying and I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, okay. Do we want to keep talking about the lighthouse now? Do we want to switch over to the king? Do we want to discuss I mean, his... Barbara Pattinson's role? Earlier work. <laughs> yeah. He's really... It's... It's kind of funny now, like, when Robert Pattinson is being discussed, like, who feels the need to bring up Twilight anymore? Yeah. When it's also, like, people used to be like, uh, Robert Pattinson, now it's like, people are excited. And if they're not, they're kind of showing that they don't really know what's been going on in his career. Yeah. Because it's like, there's no reason to talk about him in relation to Twilight other than, like, isn't that funny that that's where he got his start? But, like, if that's your only touchstone then you don't have much business to talk about his career we should we should watch the salvador dolly movie i would love to i i think it's probably on on uh canopy, canopy yeah it, it's upsetting i, I mean salvador be. dolly <laughs> yeah, yeah um, troubled man um i want to watch salvador dolly's film yeah uh and there's some clips of of one of some of his films in that and they're very upsetting yes like some of the most frightening imagery I've ever seen With in my life. With the razor blade in the eye. That's the gr- literal grossest thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that was Especially such because it movie. just like flashes onto the screen Just in the movie. so briefly. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, it does okay, so much with so well, little. Well, I'm out. <laughs> so much with so little. <laughs> that, that was when my, my, my budding, um, budding body horror bloomed. <laughs> yes. That's where it, it all crystallized. Uh, but Robert Pattinson's performance in The Lighthouse is very interesting. It's um, very physical. Well, and that's the thing. It it builds. Because in the beginning, he's, he barely speaks. And he's so physically reserved. And it's like he just wants to disappear. And we he's don't even hiding. know his name at first. We don't know his name. Uh, he just kind of, it's like keeping his head down. Yeah. He's like, I just want to make my money. Get off of this. Thing. Yeah, just, just get this done. Um and Willem Dafoe is being that just awful manager that won't leave you alone. <laughs> <laughs> and throughout the film, he just gets more and more manic. Yeah. And, Paranoid. And just like erratic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scene when he kills the seagull is like... The that's cr- the turning point of the movie. Yeah. That's I mean, where it is. I literally. Mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's when it all starts going to shit. Yeah. Uh, that that kicks off the disaster of the rest of the film. Uh, he he just really murders that that girl, man. He just wrecks uh, it. He just it. He doesn't even eat it. I he know, just like he, he, he just like, he's just smashing it. Just really going to town on that bird. Uh, yeah, he gets very... F- One of the most interesting things to me was the power play between the two men. Mm-hmm. How they were sort of pushing and pulling at each other and gaining dominance over each other at different times depending on how the other was taking it. You know, sometimes Willem Dafoe was rightly afraid 
of Robert Pattinson because he's a younger, stronger man who could... Who's not injured. Yes, who could kick the shit out of him if he wanted to. And so he does have that physical threat. But Robert Pattinson also feels the the dominance of Willem Dafoe and the fact that he he's depending on him for this job. That if he wants to get through this and get his money, he has to play by Willem Dafoe's rules, even if they fucking suck. <laughs> And he cooks badly and farts all the time. <laughs> and it's so funny how um, how domestic it was at times. Yeah. You know, it's got this crazy level of drama. But then Willem Dafoe's here like, say you like me, lobster. You, you like me cooking, right? It's, like, it's just like, no, that hurts my feelings. I'm a good cook. I'm a good cook, right? And it's like, why does any of this matter? Like, yeah. it's it's funny how how small they are sometimes mm-hmm. yeah both of them just kill it in this movie though i mean it's everything you would look for in an oscar bait movie but it doesn't feel but like it's bait little, it's yeah just it's real. very exciting it's just real art it's very exciting and willem dafoe i mean if he doesn't get a nomination like what's even happening what's even happening like make another like add another position into the nominee because like sure it's like more men doing acting and that's not necessarily mm-hmm. you know what we need in this it's day and not, age we're not pushing any boundaries by willem dafoe getting nominated for an oscar right we're not breaking any walls but down. willem dafoe does some exceptionally difficult work in this i think they both do they both do and Robert, well, because Defoe is probably would would be it would be a uh, well, I supporting don't, actor. I was kind of wondering because they have almost equal screen time, but yeah. I guess Pattinson is the probably lead. the lead. Yeah, he's the protagonist. Yeah, and he he's probably got a, a more marginally screen more screen time, yeah. but it is so dependent on the both of them. Yeah, like it barely feels like. Well, yeah, because it's literally there's one other, two other actors in the whole movie. And, and those don't two have don't any speak. lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or no, there's four because there we do see the two people switching with them. Right. And but I need we to don't see even see those people. See what was we going don't even on. see those people's faces. Right. Um. So yeah. And and a case could be made that it's them. Yes. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they're in hell, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like this is hell. Masculinity is a hell. Yeah. Boom. Of their own making. Of their own making. Yeah. And the only way out is to kiss. They just, they should have kissed. They should have kissed. There's another movie that has a scene like that where it's like an almost kiss. Oh, um, uh, Cloud Atlas. Mm, mm -hmm, When, mm -hmm. um, Robert Frobisher is studying with Vivian Ayres, the composer. Yes. And they're having this... This moment. Creative... Yeah. Vivation going on. Yeah, they're just, like, totally vibing. And he's, like, <laughs> about to kiss him. And then and Vivian like, just, like, starts cackling. He's like, oh my god, you thought. Yeah. And that's awful. It very Whereas reminded me of with that. this movie, it was very much a mutual, like, wait, what are we doing? Kind yeah, of thing. And yeah. then they're like, oh, we better punch each other because we're dudes. Uh, <laughs> and then cuddle. Yeah, and then get even drunker. Yeah, snuggle on the floor. Um, but it was very much a mutual, like, whoa, 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 <laughs> what was that? Kind of thing. Uh, they share, They have a shared love for the lighthouse boner. 
they well yeah they both covet that lighthouse boner so much but uh, okay we should talk about the king the king yes we should talk about the king because we were originally going to do the episode about the king i know but we couldn't keep ourselves but then we saw the lighthouse we couldn't keep ourselves from talking about the lighthouse it is a theme um so the king is a little more standard as a type of film it's it's more conventional of a movie. I would say it's very conventional. Very watchable. Very watchable. Unless you're like not a fan of histories. Yeah. It's a, it's just a good old historical drama. Yeah. Just a good old historical drama. With some good twists. Fun twists. Even for those of us who thought we were familiar with the story. They're like, you thought you knew Shakespeare. Guess what? Yeah. Well, cause <laughs> the, the bard is dead. Yeah. <laughs> the interesting thing about this film is it looks like sort of your... Your historical drama, you know, about a king, but it is actually based upon Henry the Fourth, Part One, Henry Fourth, Part Two, and Henry the Fifth by William Shakespeare, um, which is all the story of Henry the Fifth. Um, in in Henry Four, he's a prince, and then it's about his sort of ascension to the throne, and then Henry Fifth is about him like trying to be king. Um. But boy, did they scramble it a little. They uh they they changed some stuff up. They sped through. They yeah. The Henry Fours we get through pretty quickly. Um but then other stuff from those are sort of like transplanted elsewhere. Falstaff is a notable example of this. He's uh in the plays, he's dead by Henry V, but he lives to almost the end of the film. Uh which I get, I get why they did that because it it's good to have that sort of like familiar character with you the whole time. Well, and and the function that he served for Prince Hal, yeah, for for Henry was his sort of like good dad. Good dad, not bad dad. Good dad, true good friend dad. Yes, criminal dad. Criminal dad. <laughs> but he was a good dad to him. Like yeah. he was so honest and kind and supportive but like he kicked his butt when he needed it like he he wasn't gonna bullshit him Mm -hmm. he wasn't gonna treat him like everyone else was going to and that was very nice and i liked that take on the character of falstaff what i liked about this movie was that almost every performance you for sort of forget that they're acting you, yeah. you, it, it was a very like especially timothy was like oh yeah very honest you're like oh he's a brooding little king isn't he yeah what a, yeah it's... he's like trying to make his he's so unfortunately um oh what's the word uh the opposite of jaded earnest earnest and um, credulous uh it's gone <laughs> yeah well like just describe what happened naive okay. okay naive yeah yeah which is funny because he seems like he's this edgelord right but then <laughs> he's like oh i'm sleeping with the girls yeah and i'm living in, i live in a tavern my new dad's a criminal like but really he's like he's like oh i want the place to be better yeah he he has he's very no idealistic war. No war. very idealistic yeah and he ends up getting burned because of this yeah he's because he's not like he doesn't he thinks other people want the same things that he wants uh well uh, yeah and and you know he's he want he wants to believe it when people tell him the things that he wants to hear yeah 
And that's why Falstaff was such a great character for him, you know, such a good person for in his life, because Falstaff isn't going to tell him what he wants to yeah. hear. He's going to tell him the truth, uh, the truth that's better for him. But William, <laughs> man, and, and that, that character, you know, they did that, they handled that really well. Like, you were suspicious, and it's because of, you know, thematic structure where you're like, this guy, yeah. he's too nice. And he's, he's, he was very powerful, too. He was very powerful, and he was just right there behind Henry the whole time. and Immediately, too. Immediately there to be like, yeah, well, we'll do it your way, absolutely, and I'm here to help. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I don't trust this. Yeah, he was like the previous king's number one. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, he was like a high chancellor or something like that. Um, But we don't find out about his betrayal until like the last 15 minutes of yeah. the movie. And even then, like, when I was suspicious of him, I didn't know what I was suspicious right. for. It's, I was just like, he, he... This is too good This to is too true. good to be true. Not like, oh, he's been doing this all along. Uh-huh. And he's played by the tremendous talent, Sean Harris. And so quiet, too. He's like, such so a quiet good. That's what I love. God, Sean Harris is really fucking good. Like, he's <laughs> really fucking good at this... That reservation in his performance. And he, whereas, you know, other actors might, you know, they've got, he had these moments of these speeches, these things that he had to say to, to Hal and be like, you know, oh, you, you, you know, you're a great king and you did all of these things. And I think that, you know, you've really accomplished something here. And another actor might, you know, get in and get close and look into his eyes. He was almost like, like he, he. He didn't quite know how to say what he was going to say. Mm-hmm. And it's, he's struggling to think of the right words. And he's not looking him in the eye. And he's like thinking about what he's saying. Yeah. And it's such a great performance. And I, and I see that in his other work as well. Uh, he's, of course, my my darling Micheletto in The Borges. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he was the only good part of the... A fastbender adaptation of Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> he he played Macduff, and he was very, very, very good. And everybody else was like, "I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing." But he was like grounded and real, and he's very good at playing historical roles. Mm-hmm. I I will say it's funny because leading up to the release of The King, I kept forgetting if it was a show or a movie. Oh, I kind of wish it had been a show. There was definitely enough. Because they cruise through. Especially the bits before he becomes king. Oh yeah. You're like, okay, he has this reputation, but we don't really see much of it. Right. He has one drunken night and he sleeps with a girl twice. Yeah. The same girl, I'm pretty sure too. (laughs) That's cute. Uh, He thinks he's so edgy. (laughs) You just have a girlfriend, bro. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, um, well, yeah, there's all this stuff in the plays, like multiple battles, like the fight where he kills Hotspur. That battle happens, mm-hmm. and he kills him in the battle. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we just don't have that f- battle and other battles. Like, that's when um, Falstaff and Hal's other tavern friends, like, gain fortune for themselves. Like, they go and they he's like, hey, I'm going to recruit my ne'er-do-well friends, and we're going to go fight in the battle, and I'm going to prove myself. Mm. And that's like the end, uh, near the end of Henry Four Part One, um, and Falstaff like becomes a captain at that time, and like gets, you know, rich and is a big important man. Yeah. Whereas in this movie, it's like 
he stops being an edgelord because he wants to be a good kid for his brother. And he's like, no, don't fight. Don't do this battle. Don't do this battle that our dad, who's a jerk, told you to do. Yeah, and that's a that's very different than the Hal in um in the plays. Because in the plays, he's like, time to go and get the glory. He's yeah. he's not trying to avoid the battle. He's trying to like do the right thing by fighting in the battle. Yeah. He's he's not he's not trying to avoid conflict. In fact, like they had to like talk him into going to war with France in the movie. And in the play, it's like his idea. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you know what? I have the legal right to be king of France, not them. I'm gonna go and take it back. And, and in this one, it's like the what was the, the, the archbishop? The archbishop was like reading this really <laughs> dense dense law book, saying how yeah, yeah. And he's just like, I don't know what the fuck you're saying, dude. You're gonna need to break this down for me. And he's like, uh, they don't get to rule France, turns out legally. And I was like. Why are you telling me this? <laughs> it's great. Uh, yeah, no, he's a he's a very sympathetic Hal, and I think they they sort of that serves the movie in that you're immediately on his side because he's sort of so, um, you know, he's reticent, desperately trying to do like the correct like he's almost to... modern thing, and and that is something that I was thinking about is like why is it that. Henry V was written the way he was when Shakespeare wrote him, and why is he written this way now? Yeah. And it's because we want different things out of right. readers now right. than they, you it's know, like, when Shakespeare was writing it, we wanted a play about this king who went out and conquered yeah. and was valorous and, and united us all. And united us all. And this and, one, it's like, and he here's Tim- Timothy this... Chalamet playing Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, like he's, <laughs> he's very soft and. And, and conflicted, and he just wants to do what's best, and it's hard to know what's best. In 1600, it wasn't hard to know what was best. The thing that was best was to go kick France's ass. <laughs> that was the best thing to do. The good thing is, he does it anyway. He does go kick France's ass, and then we find out that the, that, that bastard William tricked him into kicking France's ass. <laughs> He didn't need to kick Francis' ass at all! <laughs> God damn it! Yeah, another reason I wish it was a series is so we could have seen more of the, the French princess. M- yeah, more of Catherine. So we're not just like, oh, she's here and revealing the whole like yeah, twist. Yeah, she's like, I'm here to tell you that you got played. <laughs> anyway, let's get married. Right. <laughs> um, and I also wish, yeah, more at the beginning of seeing sort of seeing all that happening. Um, I wish they'd left in that funny bit where they trick Falstaff into thinking that he was getting robbed. That's a very funny part of the play. <laughs> well, I think they sort of definitely wanted to make Falstaff a little bit more of an advisor role. More dignified. Yeah. Fal- Shakespeare's Falstaff is a buffoon. Yeah. And he was a very well-loved character, but he's a clown. This Falstaff is not a clown. Um, let's talk about our pet. So... He's he's not in it very long. He's the Dauphin. He's in the second act. Second or third act? Third he's in act? like the second half. Yeah, second. not not quite, I mean, third it, act yeah. is like after his death. Yeah. Um but he's yeah, he's in more in the second half. He shows up in the Henry V part. So first he's there um as <laughs> so he goes he goes ahead to sort of talk with Yeah, so King Henry. the English forces are just invading France. 
their their first sort of they're sieging foray. the first castle they see. Yes, so they, they found, can have they like a base of operations. Yeah, they found a town. They're sacking it. They're sieging it, and the Dauphin and his guys show up to talk. And he's just such an asshole. Such a shit. It's so funny. I don't even remember any of the stuff he says. He's just like such, he's insulting them the whole time. He's, uh, he's like, oh, you must have your big balls. Oh, and yeah. Little tiny cook. <laughs> just little tiny, with his two fists and two his fists little and his thumb, thumb sticking out there. <laughs> big balls. Little tiny cook. And, uh, and Falstaff is just like, Yawning. Yeah, sure, he literally it yawns. yawns. It's very funny. <laughs> and it just pisses Robert Pattinson off so much. Yeah. He's he's just in this man, he's laying it on so thick as the Dauphin, and I'm here for it. Well, it's it. also tough because like if you were to before seeing this, if you were to tell me, like, oh yeah, Robert Pattinson with long blonde hair, I would have been like, ew. <laughs> But he's beautiful. He's beautiful. He's gorgeous he and, nasty. and he's, nasty. He just looks like a mean boy. Yeah. He's wearing black. He's definitely a Malfoy. Yes, he's <laughs> so Malfoy. He's such a Slytherin. It's hilarious. <laughs> I'm getting Throndwheel vibes. Oh, yes. Like, it's just... The, he's always in a, on a throne, even sitting, when he's visiting. Yeah, he's sitting on a throne and he's got his black armor and his, oh, his black, black armor shirt and his gorgeous. black doublet. And his, and his blonde bl- hair. Platinum hair. Tied up in his little half Platinum hair, which they did not have then, I don't believe no, in. No, I mean, in, if, if you were like a very Swedish, maybe. Yeah, or if he spent his whole life in the south of France. Yeah, but he's beautiful and fair-skinned and just mean and bitchy. <laughs> and very bitchy. So bitchy. And I, you know, I get why... It's the kind of tone where I think that some people would struggle with it, but I loved it. The way that he was like menacing and threatening and also a fool. It's very Shakespeare. Yeah, but I don't know. Even Shakespeare's villains weren't really undercut in the way that he is. Yeah. Like the the, the drama and the comedy are kept fairly separate in mm-hmm. Shakespeare's plays where like the big moment where we defeat the Dauphin He's slipping around in the mud, like falling down in his armor like a fucking idiot. Yeah. Like he, he's like, time to fight, and then he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whereas, like a half an hour earlier, he was decapitating children. Right. So it, it's it's a it's a weird tone to strike, and yeah. I like it. But I thought it worked. Dif- I do. I do too. I can imagine not everybody agreeing with that. Yeah. Um. And then the fact that, he, that that Hal is like, you're not worth my fucking time. And he just has his soldiers just start the stabbing the shit insult. out of him. The ultimate insult. Yeah. Well, because he's like, yes, you're the prince. Yes, you're conniving. Yes, you're probably a good strategist in some ways. But you're not a soldier. Yeah. You're a fancy boy. You're a fancy boy and you have no honor. You fucking suck and you're a child murderer. Like, yeah. fuck off and die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, it you know it does make me wonder though i do wish there was more of them and their family because we see the french king for about two seconds yeah and he's like so chill yeah he's, he's like in his lounge he's just clothes. like listen i am 100 percent here to surrender to you everything's gonna be cool marry you, my daughter marry my daughter you're the best no hard feelings <laughs> my son was a total fucking tool like i wonder about their family with like so Catherine is the Dauphin's sister. Yeah. Like, 
what's their relationship? Yeah, yeah. Um, we just had, need to have a a, a, a spinoff called The Dauphin. Yes. Oh. And it would oh, be a sitcom. It would be a sitcom. Oh, I want that so badly. <laughs> oh, my God. I just want to see this raging dick just campaigning across Europe. I want it. <gasps> ah, you hear that, Netflix? Come on. Give this to me. Give me a Dauphin prequel. <gasps> and it has to have Robert. It has to be him. It has to be him. Oh, he was great. He was so nasty. <laughs> yeah. No, I really liked it. And it's so funny how so much of Shakespeare's works really just come down to, this is a story about fathers and sons. Like, it's all stories about fathers and sons. Mm-hmm. And I think that this version of it only plays it up more. Yeah. Because, um, like, in uh, in the film, in this film, Henry the Fourth is shown to be a pretty bad king. Yeah. Like, we're supposed to hate him and think that he's been doing a very bad job at being king. Whereas, I don't think that that's what Shakespeare was implying. Now, Henry V is the best king ever. <laughs> and so he shows up and fixes all the problems, but they weren't necessarily his father's fault. Yeah. They were just the problems that he was trying to deal with. And he was, you know, a weary old man who was being beaten down by these tribulations. And then his son comes in and bees the best king. Yeah. Um, or isn't this Henry the Fourth is like, oh, you're siding with your cousin? You're banished. Yeah, he's reminding <laughs> me of what's his face from the fucking Lord of the Rings. I'm getting total Lord of the Rings vibes. Um, what's the the the... Uh, Boromir's dad. Yeah, the gray-haired guy who's always eating chicken weird. He eats weird. the nasty food while, yes, while yes. Pippin sings. Oh, yeah, very that. that. Why can't I think of his name? I don't know. They I all have like, the same name to me. I feel like a fake nerd that I can't <laughs> think of his name. But, yeah, the that guy, Um, he, I was getting major, oh, yeah. major vibes. Well, they had the same hair. They had that nasty long hair, and they just skulk at tables and... Get old. When the Henry the Fourth was played by, wasn't he played by? I was wondering. Hang on, I'm gonna that look guy this up. who has that lisp. The king. Who I is think it? it was that guy. I'm looking it up right now. Thank you, because uh, you know me. I can't do a name to save my life. Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. yeah, it was. I was like, is that Ben? He, he, but it's also very like he did not look like Ben Mendelsohn. He didn't look like him. He sounded slightly like him, but uh-huh. different enough that you're like. Is that that guy? Yeah, he's wearing like these big robes and this long hair, and yeah. I just couldn't quite tell for sure. If it, was him. it was like the last thing we saw him in was uh, Captain Marvel, <laughs> right. and he was more recognizable in that, right? Well, because he's not doing—he's doing, you know, his he's sort still of own, being his own thing. In ben that. Mendelsohn, um, Joel Edgerton played Falstaff wonderfully. He, he also did. co-wrote the film, and just a gorgeous person. Yeah, lots of pretty people. Yeah, and it's it is so funny because Falstaff is supposed to be this big fat buffoon, like he's a big clown. Um, and so for him to be this like kind of cool guy is mm-hmm. really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Timothy Chalamet I thought gave a good performance. I mean, he just had to walk around and be grumpy about things. But then when he did show his emotions, especially at the end, you're like, ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he got. Yeah, that was a very interesting moment. That was sort of what like. Because that, that last scene, I think the only way to take that is like, and then this is 
this is the beginning of his true rule. Right. You know, he was being king. Only once. And he went, you know, and he went and he did this campaign. But, like, that was the beginning of his true rule as king. This is how we're setting the tone. Yeah, it's like, this is what happens in ruling a nation. Not wars and not conquering. It's... Deception. Yeah. Stabbing a guy in the back of the head with your knife. Ah, I like gasped. You did. I didn't. That was just so brutal and so fast. I could not believe. I was like, "Whoa, what?" Like, didn't. And that's the interesting sort of balance with his character with Hal. You know, he's he's got this soft heart, and he wants to help people and do good and be a gentler, kinder, nobler king. But he also has this temper, this rashness about him where, you know, he does, he says, oh, you know, we, we don't want to, we don't want to respond badly to France. Like we can, we can bear this insult. I don't want to put people yeah. in. But then it's like, oh, my cousin betrayed me slightly. Okay. Off with his head. Yeah. We got to execute these people. And you, you betrayed me. I will kill you with my own hands. Yeah. Uh, and it's crazy. And he is a wily fighter. Yeah, he just jumping on guys. There's a guy on a horse and he jumps just on him to pull him off. Just it right off the horse. <laughs> he's he's a just real sprightly. Oh yeah, just yeah. the smallest king. Just leaping onto people's backs. But like you can't can't grab him. Yeah, it's too muddy. It's too it's just mu- slippery. <laughs> it's just a slippery. Slippery little, little guy. <laughs> slippery little guy. It was very funny when Hotspur called him Big Dog. <laughs> we were cackling. Yeah. Where's the big dog? It's like, Timmy, like this is the first time Tim the Chihuahua has ever been called big dog. Right. No one would ever. He's literally the shortest person in the he's scene. He's the tiniest little twink. Like, I can't. <laughs> like, he's next to his younger brother and in the scene. And he looks little. And they had to arrange it. Like, uh, they had to do pre-force perspective. Right, just so that, <laughs> so that he, he wouldn't would be shorter. not look like the little brother. I know, they made, they forced perspective them, perspective them to be the same height. Yeah. Yeah, it he's was. He's a teeny man. Um, and yeah. it's adorable and he's great. And I love his little face. Mm-hmm. He's got great hair. Yeah, and I, man, it's so silly to me that people like flip The haircut out. grew on me, for sure. Yeah, it's it fit, fun. And it it's fit like, the movie really well. I admire that they were like, this is historical. Well, and after that coronation scene, it got a little, like, messier and A little and, tousled and cuter, on top. Yeah. But yeah. that coronation scene, it's very harsh. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look up his yeah. portrait, that's what he looks like. Mm-hmm. And, like, good, good on them, because, you know, we haven't always cared so much about historical haircuts. I'm looking at you, Mel Gibson. <laughs> Mr. Scottish mullet. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of such things, at least to my eye, the costumes looked pretty reasonably historical. Yeah, like, they, they just sort of made it a little uh, tidier, I think, and a little less dramatic. The clothing was not very dramatic, except for the yeah, black armor. <laughs> I will say, if anything, they kind of sobered it up. Yeah. Like, like I, I feel that at least my understanding of this period, because this is, this is the very beginning of the 1400s and court dress especially would have been very flamboyant. Yeah. And really the only flamboyant, flamboyant costumes were, um, the bishops and the other people on the other side of the, um, the court. Yeah. The Royal court when they're sort of doing their, 
politics mm-hmm. it very fancy like big bulky stuff yeah like but like uh, the women did not mm-hmm. and i and i did appreciate so i was questioning the his sister's head covering mm-hmm. um and it occurred to me that i know much less about scandinavian medieval dress and so given that she was put she was the queen of denmark at that time right maybe that would have been an appropriate way for her to wear her hair yeah in denmark and also brother or sister just going for a stroll right but they're outside like that yeah. would have been improper yeah. um that you know like women were expected to wear a head, head covering yeah. and she had a headband she did but she had a <laughs> lot of exposed hair and that would be very slack oh yeah she just had it like draped off yeah of it was her beautiful shoulder. but definitely not in the acceptable english yeah. style but then later on we see Catherine with, with her, her handmaids with her whole thing and they're yeah. very done very elaborate just like headdresses and that's, tetrahedrons of, and that of was, white yeah, cloth it was like <laughs> yeah it was like a it's a structure supported by wire yeah um, yeah very cool yeah very weird that was that was the style and yeah they had the women in um non-fitted gowns which was the style of the time people women were not wearing close-fitted gowns at that time um yeah it all looked reasonable if a little um subdued and that was part of the tone you know it's, yeah, it's, it's all very washed subdued. out in grays yeah. mm-hmm. and stuff trying to do that gloomy history thing whereas the period would have there would have been a lot more bright colors and yeah things. to show wealth and yeah it, and you know it's just like that was that was the fashion and that was the taste um but the, the the styles and the cuts and things like that, it all it all read as as reasonable to me. So that was nice. Looking back, one of my favorite scenes is the night of his coronation, where he's getting all the gifts. Mm. Just because it's like, oh, look at all these fun little things all these different people are giving him. Yeah, the mechanical bird from Constantinople. Right, they're like, it's a magic bird. Oh, I hope it's not evil. I hope it's not black magic. <laughs> But I'm going to give it to my cousin anyway. Guess what? I'm going to decapitate him later. Guess it was bad luck. Yeah. yeah. You know, that is interesting. I wonder if there is any kind of, like, symbolism behind that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Sort of, like, fuck futurism. Yeah. <laughs> fuck progress. Well, and the idea that it's, like, not a, a portent. real bird. A portent. Yeah. But, like, the, the metaphor of it being, like, it's it looks like a bird, but it's not a bird. Right, right. Deception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. You can you can think of it that way, and that sort of fun. Because certainly, about. like the ball was meant to be a metaphorical gift, and so. I but see. I but wasn't the ball from William? Yes. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> Which is like, <laughs> what like a galaxy brain thing to do. <laughs> I know he kicks it all off with very Game of Thrones. Yeah, very he's like finger. he gave you a ball as a gift. It's the highest insult, and I'm like, it's yeah. a ball. Well, and it, that scene too it takes on a whole different color when he's like they're puzzling over like what do we do about this ball, and Hal's like I don't know. I feel like maybe we don't have to do anything, and William's like, that's very judicious of you. But people may not see yeah. it that way. And luckily you do sort of see when we go back to Falstaff, um, them like gossiping about the king. And, his uh-huh. sort of and like... so it's like, he's not wrong. Yeah. Like, because he knew that that would happen. That, mm-hmm. that what he was saying was absolutely true. This is an insulting gift and people would see it that way. And so he's able to say like, listen, like, it's great that you're able to like, you know, let this roll off you. But like, it still reflects upon you. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Yeah, I liked it. Does I that mean, happen in the play, a ball? I don't think so. Yeah. 
It's no, just more of like, oh, right, because he was, wants to have He war. wants to. Yeah, it's not that... Because that's the thing to do in, in that time period is you go to war with France. Yeah, you decide, oh, you know what? I think I own France, actually. I better go tell them. <laughs> I go tell them that Just show actually. up on the, the, the shore with a deed. Like, actually, this is my France. <laughs> I know we got confused for a while, but actually this France is mine. Just going to have it back, please. Thanks. Just like you're evicted. <laughs> yeah. No, two good movies. Two good movies this weekend. Yeah, Robert Pattinson in both of them. And a good job in both. And he'll probably get a nomination for one of them. Probably not the king. Probably not the king. But the king was very enjoyable. It was well done. Well done. Very watchable. Though I will say this. Of the two, I'm much more likely to rewatch The Lighthouse. Yeah. If only to like... I feel like I got everything out, out of oh, yeah. the king yeah. <laughs> that I was that I'm gonna get out of it. If anything, I would just rewatch the scenes with Robert Pattinson or the end because mm-hmm. those are fun. Mm-hmm. And it's also watch quite Robert long. Pattinson slipping around in the mud. Right, it's also kind of long. It felt kind of long. It felt a little long. It, yeah, it was definitely more than two hours. Yeah, but I, I still wish like 45 minute episode TV series, like a single series, like, like a, a mini series, like a like a seven or eight episode, mm-hmm. 45 minutes. It would make each. a good mini series. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. Also, I don't love the title. The King. It, it's so He's vague. The King. And if they had given it, like, Henry V, that would have been, like, uh, set it apart. Like, mm-hmm. we'd, we'd know it's Shakespeare-based. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. But it also probably would have not got as much uh, publicity. Yeah. Shakespeare doesn't have the draw. Right, it, it is kind of interesting that they base it on Shakespeare, but they didn't really talk about that. Yeah, like it, it definitely was because Falstaff was not a real man. Shakespeare made him up. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what would have been a better title, but it is very vague. Hey, do you have any recommendations? Um, I don't think so. I do. Let me think about it. You think about it. So I started reading some web comics. I have my life back now, and I'm so fucking pleased. Um, so I've been watching some shows, and I uh, I've been watching Outlander, as you know, enjoying it. I don't feel like I need to give that a recommendation, though. Like, you know Outlander already. Yeah. If it's something you want to watch, you you know it already. But, um... Hang on, I need to... So I came upon um, a, a comics writer that I really like. Comics creator, uh, Dershing Helmer. She did some fan art for this comic called Nasty Red Dogs. Hmm. And I was like that sounds interesting and if Dershing Homer likes it I will probably like it um and it is a really bizarre horror comic um it's like an apocalyptic story but the premise seems to be and it's it's still um pretty new there aren't very many like I don't know, volumes of it. Like, you know, they've got, like, a few different arcs and stuff. But it it hasn't been running for very long. This weird apocalypse scenario occurred when there appeared three moons in the sky. Mm -hmm. As opposed to just the one ordinary Mm -hmm. moon. And then all the dogs turned into monsters. 
And so a lot of humans are dead now and people are just trying to figure out this hasn't this happened like two months previously so we're still at the very beginning of this weird dog world Mm -hmm. but all the dogs are monsters and it's like a weird it's like weirdly sexual and like it's yeah not like some anything i've read before very strange but i'm enjoying it because it is so very weird um the creator of the comic just goes by the name cosmic dream Mm -hmm. um but they seem to be an interesting person (laughs) and it's a bizarre comic and they also have uh, a much longer running horror comic called feast for a king which i have also started reading um so if you like weird horror shit like i do recommended wouldn't recommend it to everyone (laughs) wouldn't recommend it to alex (laughs) but i'm finding it fascinating cool did you think of anything i don't think i really have much okay yeah well the things i would recommend are the things we talk about and then the other things i participate in are things i've already talked about then i'm gonna throw in a little bonus um because my girl nick's fears may uh she has a great video that came out about a week ago called The Genius Stupidity of Hell House LLC. Mm-hmm. And it's really one of my favorite videos of hers in quite a while. Because it's just, I feel like it's, she's, you know, in some ways back to what she used to be making, but even better. Because you can tell that she's just really enjoying herself more than she used to because she's a lot happier now than she was um but it's it she's just telling you about this really dumb horror franchise that she just watched that's super entertaining and (laughs) she's just telling you like this is the wildest shit it's so hilarious and i loved it this is a stupid stupid series of movies (laughs) called hell house llc (laughs) so if you like that kind of thing also she's super funny and very good so go check out nick's fears as always I thought of one. Yay! So it's something that happened today that... Oh, what happened today? So I went for my little walk this morning at like 8 o'clock. I went outside because it was relatively nice. Yeah, and now that it's daylight savings time, the sun was well up. Yeah. Um, And I was just listening to... I was going through Spotify's new releases and I stumbled upon one of the new songs from Frozen 2... Mm. Which has not had the full version of the original version released yet. The film version. But this is the full cover. And I know who does it. Uh, by uh, Brendan Urie. Yes. Um, and not it was cold outside, but the song literally gave me chills. <laughs> <laughs> we love our boy. We, we love, love our boy. Brandon. And also like hitting those notes. Like, Adina Manzel notes because it's her song. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, no, my, my friend Heather, whom you know, she, she's the theater company president. She's obsessed with Brandon Urie, and she was talking about this song. Well, and it's like, the, none of the trailers have any of the songs I in know, them. No and then music. I'm like, so we're going to just get all the, the fun songs as a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I want to check that out because... I'll Lord play knows. it. I'll play it as soon as we're done. Okay, good. Yeah, Lord knows I love Brandon Yuri. Heather showed us. I was over at her house the other night for a meeting, and she had us watch bits of Brandon Yuri. Apparently, just sat down and filmed himself 
uh, singing Disney songs at the piano. <laughs> like, he's just filming himself on his iPhone as he's singing, like, I Can Go the Distance and shit like that and it's great it's like a it's like a half hour minute half hour long video wow. of brendan yuri just singing into his front facing camera <laughs> <laughs> he's good that does it for today's episode thanks for listening you can find us on apple podcasts spotify stitcher google podcasts anchor.fm and elsewhere please rate subscribe and review wherever you listen so more nerds can find us we appreciate it, and it really does make a difference. Also, if you get us a bunch of listeners, we can like do cool merch or something. Yeah, that's the dream. I want, I want merch. Yeah, for now we just have to use other people's merch. <laughs> <laughs> Check us out on Twitter at LitMeritPod for updates, news, chatting with us. Tell us. Be our friend. Did you see the lighthouse? Pretty wild, huh? What did you think? What about the king? What, 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 what do you think? <laughs> And thanks to Jonathan Colton for the use of our theme song, Prod, from his album, Artificial Heart. Until next time, remember, STOP THIS FUCKING CHARADE! charade!